Christmas. Thank you. I'm so glad that you are here today. Uh, it's always fun when we have a combined service. I love watching people come in and they go to their spot and there's somebody in it. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing to watch Christians deal with that moment of conflict in their life, right? Like, that's my chair. That's my pew. You're in it. Um, so, you know, if, if you got there first, you know, Merry Christmas. Uh, it's a miracle. <laughs> Uh, hey, just again want to thank you uh, for being here today. Uh, we did not do a bulletin today, um, but there are, I think, some extra uh, connection cards on the, the table near the, the communion and, and offering trays when you came in. Um, and so if you have a prayer request that you want to let us know about, you can grab one of those and, and fill that out real quick. Just drop it back in that uh, offering plate there, and we'll, uh, we'll be sure to, to get that out to folks this week. Also, please keep uh, the family of Joanna Walker uh, in your prayers. Her brother passed away. Uh, Joanna's been here a long time, and so uh, visitation is Tuesday from 5 to 7 p.m. The funeral's Wednesday at 10 a.m. at the Floral Park Funeral Home on Holt Road. Uh, can we take a second and just uh, pray for them now? God, thank you for uh, the chance we have to be together today. Uh, we're mindful, Lord, that we, we don't know what day it was that you uh, entered into uh, physical human existence, um, but we've picked this one uh, to celebrate it. And so uh, we thank you for that, Jesus. We're grateful for the freedom and an opportunity we have to gather together. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, Lord, who uh, many of whom have to meet in secret today and celebrate uh, the, the, in secret um, we were able to sing our guts out just 20 minutes ago, and others have to celebrate very quietly. And so we just ask for your blessing on them of, of uh, faithfulness and, and perseverance. Uh, we want to lift up the Walker family to you, Lord, and just ask your blessing on them as they're uh, going through this time. And, and really all those, Lord, we know that, that they're not the only ones who are here today uh, who are experiencing grief. And, and while we're wishing Merry Christmas and big smiles and, and stuff, we know that there are those here today who are hurting and whose, whose hearts are um, in pain and whose tables have an empty chair at them this year. Uh, and so we just ask your blessing on those. We, we pray, God, that you'd uh, send someone into each person who's dealing with that into their life uh, to just be, be your presence to them, be your hands and feet to them. We love you, Lord. Help us uh, open our hearts and minds to what your word would teach us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many gifts that are given during this time. This is a season of giving and receiving gifts. And I just want to do a real quick poll. Those of you watching online, you can type in the chat or something, uh, and you can let people on there know. How many of you got up early and already did presents? Raise your hand. Okay, a few. All right. How many of you, like, this, like our house, are waiting until you get home? Okay, about even, pretty much. I don't know what you guys did online, but it's, it's, it was about even here in the room. Um, in our house, the tradition is, <laughs> several people this morning asked me, like, so how early did you have to get up? I slept in. <laughs> For Sunday, especially. I mean, like, <laughs> like I, because here's the deal. In the Scott house, nothing happens till mom and dad have coffee. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I noticed that my kids aren't clapping right now. Um, but we just, we started early on, Deb and I, even before we had children, that was the deal. Like, we just decided before we even had kids, this is how Christmas morning is going to go in our house. So the tradition is, right, we, nothing happens till mom and dad get up. Like, you can get up and you can do whatever you want to do, but you ain't touching that tree. Um, and nothing happens, and then mom and dad have coffee, and we have cinnamon rolls and bacon. We kept that tradition. We did get up and do that today. 
We have cinnamon rolls and bacon, and then we read the Christmas story, and then we do presents, right? Because I might not be a great dad, but I'm a pretty good Christian. Um, that's, I'm, it's a joke. It's a joke. Some days I'm not a very good Christian either. Um, no, I... We all have different traditions, right? And some of you already did presents, and some of you are waiting for me to shut up so you can go do that. I'm not going to take too much of your time, but I, I, I do want to tell you a story, a couple of them actually, this Christmas morning. The first one was actually written 117 years ago by the American writer O. Henry. Can I, can I retell you that story this morning? A dollar and 87 cents. That's it. And 60 cents of it was in pennies. Pennies saved one and two at a time by bulldozing the grocer and the vegetable man and the butcher until her cheeks burned with the silent indignation of it all. Three times Della counted it. A dollar and 87 cents. That'd be $62 in today's money. And the next day is Christmas. There was clearly nothing to do but flop down on the shabby little couch and howl, so Della did it. She finished her cry and put her face back together and stood by the window and looked out dully at a gray cat walking on a gray fence in a gray backyard. Tomorrow would be Christmas Day. She had $1.87 to buy her darling husband Jim a present. She'd been saving every penny she could for months, and this was the result. $20 a week doesn't go very far especially back in 1905. Expenses had been greater than she'd calculated. They always are. Only $1.87 to buy a present for her darling Jim. Many an hour she'd pl spent planning something nice for him, something fine and rare and sterling, something just a little bit nearer to being worthy of the honor of being owned by Jim. There was a mirror between the windows in the room, and she moved from the window and stood in front of the glass and she pulled down her long auburn hair let it fall to its full length now there were two possessions that Jim and Della Young had in which they both took a mighty pride one was Jim's watch the watch they said it had been owned by his father and his grandfather before him it was precious it was rare it was expensive the other was Della's hair. Della's beautiful hair fell about her rippling and shining like a cascade of auburn water. It reached down below her knee, almost formed like a garment for her. And then she did it up again, and nervously and quickly, she faltered briefly and stood there looking in the mirror while a tear or two rolled down her cheek and splashed on the shabby brown carpet. On went her old brown jacket, on went her old brown hat, and with a whirl of skirts and a brilliant sparkle in her eye, she fluttered out the door and down the stairs to the street. Where she stopped, the sign read, Madame Sophronie, hair goods of all kinds. Up the one flight, Della ran and collected herself panting. She burst through the door and said, Will you buy my hair? I buy hair, said the madame. Take off your hat and let's have a sight at the looks of it. Down rippled the brown cascade. Twenty dollars, Madame said. About six hundred bucks in today's money. Lifting the mass up with a practiced hand and feeling it. Give it to me quick, Della said. 
And the next two hours flew by on wings. She was ransacking the stores for Jim's present, and she found it at last. It surely had been made for Jim and nobody else. There was nothing like it in any of the stores, and she'd turned them all inside out looking for this present. It was a platinum fob watch chain, simple, pure in design, properly proclaiming its value by substance alone and not by ornamentation, as all good things should do. It was even worthy of the watch. As soon as she saw it, she knew it had to be Jim's. It was like him, quietness and value. The description applied to both. $21 they took from her for it, and she hurried home with 87 cents in her pocket. With that chain on his watch, Jim might be properly anxious about the time in any company. Grand as the watch was, he sometimes looked at it on the sly on account of the old leather strap that he used in place of a chain. When Della reached her home, her excitement gave way to a little prudence and reason. She got out her curling irons and went to work repairing the ravages made by generosity added to love, which is a tremendous task, a mammoth task, my friends. Within 40 minutes, her head was covered with the tiny, close-lying curls that made her look wonderfully like a truant schoolboy. She looked at her reflection in the mirror long, carefully, and critically. She said to herself, if Jim doesn't kill me before he takes a second look at me, he'll say I look like a Coney Island chorus girl. But what could I do? What could I do with a dollar and 87 cents? By 7 o'clock, the coffee was made and the frying pan was on the back of the stove, hot and ready to cook their nice big pork chops that they got for their Christmas Eve feast. Jim was never late. Della doubled the fob chain in her hand sat on the corner of the table near the door that he always entered. And then she heard his step on the stairs down on the first flight. She turned white for a second. She had a habit of saying little silent prayers about the simplest everyday things. And now she whispered, please, God, make him think I'm still pretty. The door opened, and Jim stepped in and closed it. He looked thin and drawn and serious. Poor guy, just 22, already had a family. He needed a new overcoat, and he didn't have any gloves. He stepped inside the door and immediately was as immovable as a setter on the scent of a quail. His eyes were fixed on Della. There was an expression in them that she could not read. It terrified her. It was not anger or surprise or disapproval or horror or any of the sentiments that she had prepared her heart to receive. He simply stared at her fixedly with this peculiar expression on his face. Della hopped up off the table and went to him. She said, Jim, darling, don't look at me that way. I I cut my hair off and sold it because I couldn't have lived throughout Christmas without giving you a present. It'll grow out again. You won't mind, will you? I just, I had to do it. My hair grows awfully fast. Say Merry Christmas, Jim, and let's be happy. You don't, you don't know what a beautiful, what a nice gift I've got for you. You, you cut off your hair, said Jim laboriously, as if he had not yet arrived at that patent fact, even after the hardest mental labor. Cut it off and sold it, said Della. Don't you like me just as well anyhow? I'm me without my hair, ain't I? And Jim looked around the room curiously, and she said, you needn't look for it. I've sold it, I tell you. Sold it, and it's gone. It's Christmas Eve, boy. Be good to me, because it went for you. Out of his trance, Jim seemed quickly to wake. 
He wrapped up his darling wife in a hug and pulled a package from his coat pocket and threw it on the table. He said, Miss Dell, don't make any mistake about me. I don't think there's any way in the hair, anything in the way of a haircut or a shave or a shampoo that could make me love my girl any less than I already do. But if you'll unwrap that package, you may see why you had me going a bit at first. Her fingers tore through the string and paper, and then an ecstatic scream of joy, alas, then followed by a quick change to hysterical tears and wails, necessitating the immediate employment of all the comforting powers of the Lord of the apartment. Because there lay the combs, the combs, side and back, that Della had worshipped long in a Broadway store window. Beautiful combs, pure tortoise shell with jeweled rims, just the shade to wear in the beautiful vanished hair. They were expensive combs, she knew. And her heart had simply craved and yearned over them without the least hope of possession. And now they were hers, but the tresses that should have adorned the combs were gone. At length, she was able to look up with red eyes and a smile and say, My, my hair grows so fast, Jim. And then she leaped up like a scalded cat and said, oh, oh. Jim had not yet seen his beautiful present. She held it out eagerly to him in her open palm. The precious metal seemed to flash with a reflection of her bright and ardent spirit. Isn't it a dandy, Jim? I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to look at the time a hundred times a day now. Give me your watch. I want to see how it looks on there. Instead of obeying, Jim flopped down on the couch and leaned back and put his hands behind his head and quietly just laughed to himself. He said, Dell, let's put our Christmas presents away and keep them a while. They're just too nice to use at present. She looked at him with this strange look on her face. He said, darling, I sold the watch to buy your combs. Now, why don't you suppose you put those pork chops on? The story is called The Gift of the Magi by the writer O. Henry. It's a beautiful example of the kind of generosity that Christmas should inspire. And so today I want us to think about another story many years ago when people gave extravagantly. If you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, open them to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12 is our text today. Now, before we look at how this text impacts our lives, I want to read it and then give you a little background so you'll understand this story better. Look with me at Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It's quoting Micah chapter 5 there. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Liar. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen where it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, before we can apply this to our lives, let me give you a little background. Right away, we discover something interesting. These wise men show up in Jerusalem sometime after the birth of Jesus. Now, this runs contrary to our nativity scenes that very often place the magi at the birth with the shepherds. You've seen this. Some of you have this set up in your house right now, you rascals. That's not how it happened. And I know some people who set up their their nativity and they have the wise men like all the way in another room. (laughs) And then slowly over the course of Advent, they move the wise men a little closer to Jesus. He still wasn't there. It came later, like two years later, perhaps. They come. Jesus is a a little uh, taught by then, a little toddler, you know, walking, starting to talk. But one of the things that intrigues me about this story is the incredible wrong turn that these guys take near the end of their journey. These, these, instead of following the star all the way to Bethlehem, they, they stop in Jerusalem to consult with Herod. So, so who are these guys? Well, they were the professors and philosophers of their day. They're originating from the country that most likely that we now call Iraq. It's a thousand miles over land from Iraq to Bethlehem. They get there. Bethlehem's only five miles from Jerusalem. If you go there today, and I was just there about you know two months ago, if you go there today, it feels like all one city. You don't really realize you've moved from Jerusalem to Bethlehem until you go through the, the giant concrete wall and the checkpoint. Because Bethlehem's in, in modern day Palestinian territory now. And um, it just it feels like one big city now. In Jesus' time, they were about five miles apart. So it's a journey of a thousand miles, and in the last five, (laughs) they detour, and they stop in Jerusalem. These men were, despite that, they were brilliant. They were highly educated scholars. They were trained in medicine and history and philosophy and religion and prophecy and astronomy. In fact, our modern word magistrate is a direct descendant of the word magi. These men thought deeply about life. It's appropriate to call them wise men, probably not appropriate to call them kings. We three kings of old. No, no, not really. They weren't kings. They were kingmakers. These were the people who worked the wheels of politics to make sure that the right guy got that job. (laughs) They were very influential. And what, what could possibly have motiv- motivated these wealthy, intelligent, influential men? And we don't know how many of them there are. The song says three because there are three gifts. There could have been 12. We don't know. How, to make this long journey, 1,000 miles, across the desert in a caravan. Well, there's only one answer to that question. They've come to see a king and not Herod. Magi, as they leave Jerusalem and then set out for Bethlehem, you know, again, only five miles distant, this star that they had seen all the way in Iraq all of a sudden pops up again. <laughs> it's like, guys, you, you took a wrong turn, you know. And they see, oh, there's the star. And now they follow it all the way to Bethlehem. And I've always wondered, when I've read this story many times over the years, if they were a little bit disappointed when they got there. <laughs> they, they left their home, a thousand miles away, traveled up, maybe up to two years making this journey. 
And they get to this ordinary home with an ordinary family, working an ordinary job, and they see this king that's an ordinary kid. When's the last time you ever hung out with a two-year-old? Right? Wiping their nose and other places. Right? It's here, he, but he's the king. He, there's no scepter. There's no throne. There's no army. There's no speech. I mean, you can barely talk. There's nothing to make you think that he's a king. To the outward eye, he's nothing but a peasant child in an ordinary family. But to these wise men, he is a king. He possessed more royalty in a crib than Herod had in his palace. And somehow these wise men saw beyond the present and into the future, and in deep faith they worshiped this child. The word translated worship literally means to kiss toward, to intensely adore. They knew that somehow that this child would one day rule the world, and they were not ashamed to fall on their face before him. They saw Jesus as a gift to the world. And now we come to this detail, the one for which the Magi are most remembered. In verse 11, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. The modern tradition of giving gifts at Christmas most likely comes from Bishop, also known as Saint Nicholas. You know this? I'm not going to go into too much of the story because there are kids in the room, but you can Google it later. Bishop Nicholas of Myra Traditionally, our family celebrates St. Nicholas Day on December 6th. That's the day he died. We don't know when he was born. But he was a real guy. And there, was, there were poor families in the church, and he would sometimes go through the community and families in the church, and they'd leave a window open, and they'd leave their socks in the open window to dry overnight. He'd drop in little bits of money in the sock to help out these families that were struggling. Can you, can you imagine what tradition we get from that? It was a real guy. He really did that. And so our, a lot of our modern traditions come from Bishop, but Bishop Nicholas, but I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if Bishop Nicholas got it from these guys. What we do comes a lot from what he did, but what he did may come from what they did. In that culture, bringing gifts was particularly something important when you approached a superior. And the gifts they bring are expensive, and they, they represent a worthy tribute, but there's more to it than meets the eye. These things are also symbolic. Gold is one of the rarest and most expensive metals. We know that. It represents the wealth and power of a king. Frankincense was used in the temple worship of the Lord. It represents the infant's deity, that he's truly God, born in a human body. And then there's myrrh. It's kind of an expensive perfume that's made from resin that, is, um, that oozes out by wounding a thorny tree repeatedly. I'm going to say that again, but I'm going to say it, and I want you all to put on your theologian glasses right now. To get myrrh, you have to repeatedly wound a thorny tree, and it oozes out. Whoa. It was used in beauty treatments, but when it's mixed with vinegar, it becomes an anesthetic. After a person died, myrrh was used to anoint the body and prepare it for burial. It's very, very expensive. It's a long and laborious process to get myrrh. Gold points to his majesty because he's a king. Frankincense points to his deity because he's God in a human body. Myrrh points to his humanity because he was destined to suffer and die for us. 
Now, did the Magi understand this? No! No, they had no idea. These gifts were expensive. They were valuable. It's what they had to give. And so they gave it. But God arranged it so that their gifts to the king and the cradle would point us to who Jesus really is and why he came. So what do we learn from these guys? What possible relevance can what they did have to our lives in the 21st century? Let me give you five lessons today real quick. Five lessons from these wise men. Here's the first one. These men met God in the midst of their work. They met God in the midst of their work. God can and will communicate to you as you are faithful to what he's called you to do. And and, and that might be making widgets. It might be balancing spreadsheets. It, it, you know, what, whatever God has called you to do, he, he will speak just while you're faithful to serve the Lord in whatever it is that you do. You, you don't need to, to check out of normal life to get to know God. He'll meet you right where you are. These astrologers were doing their jobs when God kind of ambushed them and redirected their life. One thing I I do need to tell you, I'm I'm grateful. The elders are very generous to Chapel Rock's staff and allow us some flexibility this week. The holiday season here at Chapel Rock, especially if you're new, you don't know this, it kind of, it runs all the way through from November all the way to the end of December. I mean, we start Christmas stuff back in November. And so our staff is really busy and working hard for a couple months, and the elders very graciously have told us, hey, listen, just make sure you're ready to go for the first and, and take some time off this week. So the office will be open Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week. The staff is kind of in and out intermittently. If you need something, just call and leave a message or shoot an email. We'll get to it when we can. But we're, we're very grateful to Chapel Rock's elders for allowing us that flexibility to be with our families uh, during the holiday season. Next Sunday, January 1, we're having church, normal times, okay? We're starting a brand new sermon series called You Are Here. I mentioned my trip to Israel. It's going to be based on that trip. So I'm doing uh, January 1. Uh, my dad is coming to speak on January 8th. You're not going to want to miss that. It's going to be really cool stuff. If you've ever wanted to go to Israel or ever thought about it, you are not going to want to miss our next sermon series, okay? So just want to let you know about that. So these guys met God in the midst of their work. I needed to talk about work for a second. Number two, they found their way by consulting scripture. When they start out, they follow the bright star. When they get sidetracked in Jerusalem, they have to go to the word of God to find out where the Messiah was going to be born. And if you're here this morning and you feel like you kind of lost your way recently, let me ask you, have you been in the word lately? How much time have you spent with the Lord? Because these guys, they kind of got sidetracked. They kind of took a detour And God had to get them on track by going to the Word. And so if you're here today and you're feeling a little off track, I would encourage you to be in the Word. Thirdly, they gave themselves in worship first. They gave themselves in worship first. Before they gave what they had in their hands, they gave what they had in their hearts to Jesus. They bowed down and they worshiped, and then they opened their treasures. Friend, God wants your life infinitely more than he wants your stuff. I'm going to say that again because I want you to get this on this Christmas day when we give and receive gifts. God wants your life more than he wants your stuff. And here in a little bit, we're going to sing a song together and you're going to be invited if you've never done that to give him your life in confession of him as Lord and baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit and walking in discipleship to Jesus. Fourthly, they gave the best gifts they had. They gave the best gifts they had. 
These seekers of God gave to Jesus what they had. Their gifts were valuable, they were significant, but they weren't just what they had lying around. They, they, it, it wasn't like, well, what's loaded on the hump of the camel today? It, no, they had to find the right thing. <laughs> we want to do this. They gave the best thing they had. And fifthly, the last lesson today is that they were willing to take action. They were willing to take action. These guys made a long journey that forever changed their lives. They put their commitment to their conviction. <laughs> they put feet to their faith. They didn't just sit there staring into the heavens, right? When, when, when they got their sign from God, they packed. <laughs> and they loaded the camels and they set out. Some of you know exactly what you need to do. You've got no confusion about what God is calling you to do this Christmas day. Get with it. T take action. Be like the wise men. And that commitment, that, that, the, the, the conviction that you know you have, like, uh, let's get with it. Let's do the thing. Whatever the thing is, do the thing that God is calling you to do. It's time to get moving. Young couple making their way through New York City at the turn of the last century. They got almost nothing, but they give what they have out of love. Ancient wise men making a long and difficult journey do the same. Can I suggest to you this Christmas morning that God asks each of us to do that? His word says that his power is made perfect in weakness. He will take whatever you have from the gifts of kings to the labor and love of our physical bodies. And he will take the best that you have to give and he will sanctify and he will hallow it and he will use it to bring glory to his son. Here's what I want to tell you today and we're done. Jesus is God's perfect gift to us and the perfect gift for Jesus is love in action. That's what the wise men did 2,000 years ago. Love in action. From the wise men 2,000 years ago to a poor couple in New York at the turn of the last century the people of Chapel Rock Christian Church in 2022. What Jesus wants from you this Christmas is love in action. God has given you his son. He's given you the opportunity to have a relationship with him by grace through faith. In just a second, we're gonna stand and sing and you're invited to come and, and avail yourself of that opportunity and claim it and make it your own. He's given that to you. That's his gift to you. All he wants from you in return is love in action. That's what you're called to do this, this day, this Christmas day. Let's stand together and we're going to sing a song and you respond as God leads you.